If you have your Bible in Genesis chapter number 30, let's stand in reverence to the reading of the scriptures. And I'll read one verse of scripture this morning. For the sake of time, notice if you would please in Genesis in chapter number 30 and verse number 27. And Laban said unto him, and the him in this reference is Jacob, I pray thee, if I have found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. Now I want you to notice that last phrase. He said, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. I want to draw our attention to some things that Jacob had learned by experience. And our thought this morning will be some personal things that I have learned by experience. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we bow before you. We love you. We thank you for this Lord's Day. We thank you for your wonderful blessings and your great provisions upon our lives, our family, our nation, our ministries. Lord, I would ask you to continue to be with our pastor, Mr. Lead and the family. Give him a great refreshing. I pray that you'll strengthen him, empower him. Lord, I would ask you that you'll meet with us this morning. If there's one here that knows not Christ, may you deal with their heart concerning the matter of salvation. And may they be saved even before the service is ended. I pray that you'll encourage the saint, God, that you'll encourage the discouraged, and God, that you'll lift up and mend the broken heart. We look to you for great things. Give thy servant power, clarity of mind and speech, and I pray that you'll do your work, have your will and way in our lives, and we'll be careful to thank you, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. In our text, we find that Laban has referenced Jacob in saying that there were some things that he had learned by experience. I will not take time this morning to go through all of those things. The Bible, I believe, gives a a list of several things that he learned. But one of the things in the context of the scripture, he said, I've learned that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. And Laban, in spite of all of his difficulties and failures and challenges, and the challenge between his relationship with Jacob, In spite of all of that, he had enough common sense or God-given sense to realize that the blessings that he had and that God had bestowed upon him was much due to the life of Jacob being in his presence. And I've been in the ministry now for 43 years. I'm on my uh, getting ready to go into my 44th year of knowing Christ as my personal Savior. Shortly after salvation, God began to deal with me concerning the matter of ministry I ran from it for many years, not because I had no desire to preach. There certainly was a great burning desire to preach the gospel. I did not run because there was a lack of desire. I ran from the call of God because I really honestly, truly, did not believe that God could use someone like me. I believe I stated this a few years back in a message that I preached here, but some years ago, as a young teenager, I was in a a tragic accident as a young man. The driver was killed in the uh, accident. I was busted, broken up, and in the hospital, and my dad and another uncle, uh, who was my uncle was a preacher, and he rode with my dad to the uh, state of Kansas and picked us up and brought us home from the hospital, and uh, I was a very rebellious teenager, unfortunately, And on the way home, my uncle turned around and looked at me as I sat in the back seat. And he said, Terry, he said, you're so sorry and low down and good for nothing. The only thing you could ever turn out to be, son, is a preacher. I got so mad at my Uncle DV, I would have have beat him up if I hadn't been so sore. He probably would have beat me up being a smart aleck young teenager. But I suppose if that qualifies a person for preaching, and it doesn't. But if it were, I suppose I should have turned out to be a much better preacher than I am. But as we have been in the ministry now for 43 years, 
saved for right at 44 years, I've learned some things by experience. I've been involved in missions work for over 35 years, Mrs. Ellis and I. And I'm grateful for the experiences that God has bestowed upon us. If I had the choice whether to be a missionary and serve God in the capacity that we have served him in these last years, I would choose it all over again. In spite of the trials, in spite of the troubles, in spite of the difficulties, there's still been great triumphs and blessings and the presence and power of the Holy Ghost of God. And I would choose it all over again if I had to do it again. And may I say to you this morning that I have learned by experience of the blessings of God. There are many things this morning that I could spell out to you that I've learned by experience. But I've chosen three things this morning that I would like to share with you. And I hope they're of help and encouragement to you as a Christian. And if you're not saved, it is my prayer that God will convict you and show you your need of salvation. Notice, if you would please, in 1 Kings chapter number 8 and verse number 56, one of the great things that I've learned by experience is that God's promises are true and that they never fail. Notice in 1 Kings 5, or 8 and 56, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel, according to all that he promised. And note the following phrase, that there hath not failed one word of all of his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses. And may I say to you this morning, I've learned by experience that God's promises are true. There's not failed one divine promise in the scriptures that God has ever failed in my 43 years of ministry and my almost 44 years of salvation. God's promises are true. I'm reminded of the little uh, grandson that was visiting with his grandma and he was flipping through her Bible and he noticed beside a certain passages and page after page in her Bible that there was two alphabets beside him, a T and a P. And he asked her, said, Grandma, what does that TP stand for? And she said, well, son, every morning I wake up, I take my Bible and I read it until I find a promise. And when I find a promise, I'll put a T beside it and that T stands for tried. I'll try that verse that day and that promise and, and claim it and try God to see if he'll fulfill it in my life. He said, well, I understand what the T stands for, but what does the P stand for? She said, oh, that's simple. I'll try the promises of God through the day, and by sunset, God's never failed to answer the promise that is found in the divine word of God, and the T stands for tried, the P stands for proven. And all through her Bible was the words uh, tried and proven, or T and P. And may I say to you, my friend, for almost 44 years, I've tried, and God's proven the divine scriptures and the promises that has been given to us in his divine book. There are several promises. There have been estimates from upwards of 1,500 promises all the way up to the thousands, five and 6,000 promises of the Bible. And I must confess and be honest and transparent with you this morning. I've never gone through my Bible from Genesis to Revelation and marked all the promises as I've read through it. But I, and so I can't tell you exactly how many promises are in the scripture. I can only cling to that and those that have done so and assuming that there are thousands. But I can tell you this one thing, that God has never failed one of his promises in the Bible. Let God be true and every man a liar, the Bible says. One thing that I know.
know is true, and that is in the promise of God that this Bible is a divine, inerrant, inspired, preserved Word of God. Not one single word, the Bible says in 1 Kings 8 and 56, not one single promise has failed that we find in the divine promises of Scripture. In fact, the Bible tells us in the book of 2 Timothy in chapter number 3 and verse number 16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And I know without a shadow of a doubt this morning that this Bible that I hold in my hand, you have in your lap, and you hold in your hands this morning, it is the divine, inspired, preserved, inerrant, perfect word of God. And every word that is in this Bible can be tried and proven because God, who cannot lie, gave us this book. It is not only preserved, it is inspired. And it means it came from the very breath of God. And that's why this book is a living book. It is alive. There have been multiple prisoners. In fact, our secretary at the ministry, one of them, was saved by just reading the Bible and reading gospel tracts and came under deep conviction of her need for Jesus Christ. You know why? Because this book is alive. This Bible says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful. And the word quick literally means that it is alive. Aren't you glad we have a living book and a living God who inspired the book and a living text that is able to convict and to be able to bring correction in the life of the sinner as well as the believer? Thank God for the Bible this morning. The Bible has great power. I remember some years ago we were conducting a revival at the South Dakota State Penitentiary in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And we were giving out a giant print Bible and a, a Haley's Bible handbook in strong concordance for those who brought the most visitors to the revival. And I remember after one of our services, and it was very tense in that meeting, and they had an old, it's almost like a large theater. They had theater seats and would seat upwards of 300 plus. We had it packed in those services. And after the first service, we put our challenge out. There were two men that approached us, and they were dressed in solid black garb. One of them had a robe on. And he approached us and said to us, Now, Mr. Ellis, we want to get this straight. You said you would give a giant print Bible and a concordance and and uh, you would give a uh, handbook to those that brought the most first-time visitors to this revival service. Is that correct? I said, yes, sir, you heard me correct. They said, we want to be very clear with you and forthright. We are not Christians. One spoke up and said, I am the uh, head of a little coven of witches, Wiccans, inside of this institution. Another one spoke up and said, I lead a little coven or a group of uh, satanic worshipers in this institution. And we want to be sure we understand this correct. Even though we are witches and Satanists, if we bring the most first-time visitors to the revival service, we can win that Bible in concordance and handbook and take it away from the Christians who would be working toward it. I said, friend, I don't care who you are, where you come from, what your background is, or what your religious affiliation is. If you bring the most first-time visitors, you'll be presented the book, the handbook, of the Bible, and the concordance. 
And can you imagine a witch and a Satanist going through the prison yard and cell to cell and out on the wreck time and in the dining area and inviting people to an old-time, old-fashioned, old-timey revival meeting? But that's exactly what happened. And every night they would come in and they finally uh, filled up the center section back several uh, pews. And uh, they had upwards of 70 or so in those meetings. I would preach against sin and they would hip and hooray for sin. I'd preach uh, something about righteousness and holiness and living godly. And they'd stand up and give a thumbs down and boo my preaching. And finally I said to them and gave them a very stern rebuke. And I said to them, you might as well sit down and shut up and be quiet. For you'll not out-preach me and you'll not out-get uh, uh, volume to drown me out. And you're welcome to come, but I'm here to preach the gospel of Christ and this blessed book, which is alive. It is the word of God and has power unto salvation. And those men sat down respectfully. Thank God they didn't come after me. But they sat down respectfully and never said another word. On the last night of that service, they had both brought the most visitors. I can't remember exactly which one was which. I believe it was the wick of the witch that had brought the most first-time visitors. And if I remember correctly, it was the Satanists that had brought uh, the second runner-up, second to the most. And they were just neck and neck. When I called them up to give them the Bible... I quoted Hebrews 4.12, which I quoted the opening part of that verse a moment ago. And I said to him, I said, young man, when you go to sleep tonight, you better not, you dare not close both eyes. He looked at me rather strange. I said, that Bible is alive and it'll cut you all to pieces. You better sleep with one eye on that book and one eye you can close and rotate them through the night. All the Christians laughed. They thought that was funny. And I presented the other one with the concordance in the Haley's Bible handbook. And they took it from the Christians to uh, go and to study Christianity and the Bible so they could refute Christianity and argue with the Christians. The revival ended. A few days later, the local pastor called and said, Brother Ellis, do you have a moment I can share a word of testimony with you? I said, sure. Uh, help yourself, preacher. He said, I went in for my regular uh, Sundays or my regular services through the week. He said, at the end of the service, a prisoner raised his hand and said, Pastor, can I give a word of invitation? Now, to be honest with you, we don't let too many prisoners give words of testimony. Uh, some of them are wonderful, but then you never know what you're going to get out of some of the others. And so the pastor very wisely told him, said, look, we've only got about two or three minutes left, so be quick. And uh, the inmate began to uh, give his testimony. He stood up. He said, I was the one who won uh, that Bible at the Rock of Ages revival the other night. He said, I took that back to my cell block and I began to read the Bible, the Word of God. Now this morning, personally, I can't remember the exact address of the scripture, but I believe it was in 1 Peter. He said, I was reading that Bible and all of a sudden I started feeling dirty on the inside. He was trying to say convicted, but he really didn't know what to say or the word implied. He said, I was reading it, and he said, I got miserable. I've never felt that miserable in all my life. He said, eventually I took that Bible, and I grabbed it, and I ripped it in half, and I flung it against the cell wall, and I laid down on my bunk to go to sleep. 
He said, but when I lay down and closed my eyes, all I could see in my mind's eye was them preachers that stood that week with those long, barney fingers standing and preaching, thus saith the Lord. He said, I turned and looked at the wall. Same thing. He said, I turned and looked at the other wall and couldn't go to sleep. Finally, he said, I fumbled in the darkness of my cell and I found half of that Bible. And I went over to the cell block and stuck it outside the bars. And he said, I adjusted it to the light coming from the officer's quarters. And I looked at it and he said, lo and behold, in the providence of God, there that Bible was on that text that I was reading when I started feeling dirty on the inside. And he said, I remembered that preacher said, if I'd call out to God, he'd save me. He said, I got my a half of that Bible, went over by my cell bunk, and I put it on top of my bed. I got down on my knees and bowed my head while the tears were dripping off my cheeks. And I said, God, if there really is a God in heaven who'll forgive me of all my sins like those preachers preach this week then I'm calling out upon you and asking you to save an old poor wretched sinner like me he said I got saved by the marvelous grace of God he led the other one to the Lord we went back a year later to preach a revival and I asked the chaplain I said how's that Satanist and that wicker that witch doing he said well they're doing pretty good brother Ellis he said as far as I know we've only got two of them left one witch and one devil. He said they've won every one of them to the Lord and brought the whole coven to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. May I say to you, my friend, I've learned by experience that the Bible is true. It's God's divine book. It has power to save and power to keep this morning. Thank God for the Bible and for the liberty I've got to preach this morning. Thank God for our Bible. It is a divine, preserved, inspired, inerrant word of God. Then I think God, I've learned by experience, he'll carry our burdens. You know, there's been many burdens and heartaches and trials over these almost 44 years of salvation. And I can promise you over the last 43 years of preaching the gospel, and especially over the last 35, going on 36 years of serving as a missionary. But I've learned by experience over these years that First uh, Peter 5, 7 is really true. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And you know, I've learned by experience that God will carry our burdens. If we'll just lay them upon him, some of the deepest, darkest valleys I've ever been in, God's carried our burdens and carried us through. And I probably have shared this in times past, but I'm thinking about that statement. Through. David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. And the word through means not just from the beginning to the end. It literally means going into, through the trial, and out the other side. And he said, I'll be with you all the way. He said, I'll go with you through the valley of the shadow of death. And thank God I've learned by experience that his ability to carry our burdens. I don't know what your burdens are this morning. Maybe they're family. Maybe they're foe. Maybe they're finances. And maybe there's other areas of your life that you're going through this morning. It's a battle and you don't know how the outcome is going to be. You're maybe filled with anxiety and fear and uncertainty of not knowing the future or even today or tomorrow. Much less weeks or days or months or years ahead. May I say to you, my friend, I've learned by experience, you can cast all your care upon him for he truly careth for you. And then I've learned concerning the promises of God that salvation is to all. You know, God will save anyone. I believe in a whosoever will salvation. The Bible said that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Been in prison ministry now for 35, 
pardon me, 35 going on 36 years, I've seen God save the murderer. I've seen God save the robber. I've seen God save the thief. I've seen him save the adulterer. I've seen him save when I left chaplaincy at the Wyoming State Penitentiary uh, almost 20-something years ago. We had uh, five pastors inside the institution from various denominations. Not all of them were uh, from denominations and religious affiliations that were bad. Two of them were from independent, fundamental, premillennial, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. And they were in our prison. And I've seen God save from the uttermost, as the old preacher said, unto the guttermost. I've seen the Lord save whosoever shall call upon him. Now this morning I want to say this. There is no hyper-Calvinist in me whatsoever. Somebody asked me some years, you say, well, preacher, I don't even know what that is. You can thank God you don't. And don't even worry about looking it up. I had a preacher some years ago said, now, Brother Ellis, he said, I'm a two-point Calvinist. How many of you? I said, I'm zero. I believe in a whosoever will salvation. I remember over the years I've seen many come to know the Lord. I remember uh, on death row when I first arrived in Wyoming, we had three serving time on death row. One of them was executed. I tried to witness to him on multiple occasions. And I remember on the day of his execution, he called for us to come in and to talk with him. And uh, by the time I got there, and from the time he requested to the time I arrived, and he was right across from the death chamber, uh, he had had a change of heart. He wanted me to witness and be a witness to his execution. And he was what he called a Jack Mormon. You say, what's a Jack Mormon? Well, a Jack Mormon is like a backslidden Baptist. They're not dedicated. They're not uh, serving the Lord. And they call him Jack Mormons. That's what he called himself. And uh, I went in, and as soon as I walked in the door, he looked at the officers. He said, now, he said, there's that chaplain trying to save my soul from hell. And I'll tell you what, if I start acting religious or talking religious, he said to the officer, slap me out of my chair and knock some sense in me. He looked at me and said, preacher, I'll see the devil in a few minutes, and I'll tell him you said hello. He was hard and cold and callous. Died only a few moments later and went to hell without God. But I've seen a God reach down and, and save others. We had another one on death row, and I'd spent multiple hours with him, and finally went back one day, and tears started dripping off his cheeks, and he bowed his head on the other side of a solid steel door with a little, they call it bean shoots, about an eight-inch high door, about 16, 18 inches wide. As the officers opened it, and I prayed with him. He trusted Christ as his personal Savior. And I've seen God uh, save multitudes. I remember when I was in uh, Rollins, a man uh, was dying, and I'd preached in the church uh, several times, and a lady contacted me and said, Brother Ellis, would you make a visit with my dad? And that was right at 100 and, I suppose, a minimum 125-mile drive one way, upwards of 150. I said, sure, I'll be glad to. She said he's got cancer, he's on his deathbed. They don't expect him to last for a few days, and he's uh, without the Lord, and he needs to be saved. He won't listen to anyone, but we'll try to give it one last chance if you'll go. I drove the distance, went up there. We prayed, had others praying. Walked into the room, began to build a rapport with him. And after a while, uh, he began to get under conviction. You could see the Holy Ghost of God begin to break him. And I had the opportunity of leading him to the Lord. His mother uh, was, uh, wife, pardon me, was there. 
And uh, she wrote back a little later and said, I've lived with him for so many years and I've never seen his heart as tender as it was after he trusted Christ as a Savior. I'm telling you, he was a hard man. But God's able. I've seen the Lord, his divine promise that he said, I'll save whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You may be sitting here this morning or listening on uh, the uh, live stream of the internet and you may be thinking in your heart and mind, I'm so hard and I'm so callous. There's no way God would have anything to do with me. May I say to you, my friend, you'd be surprised what God will do. He'll take his divine work, his divine promises of the scripture. He'll save whosoever shall call upon him. I remember there was a particular officer I was witnessing to on several occasions. And uh, he was hard and crusty, made fun of our preaching to the prisoners, didn't want anything to do with it. I thought we were a joke. Said, you guys are wasting your time. These guys, they really don't change their life. Uh, they say, man, while you're here and come to church, and when you leave, they start cursing, swearing, using God's name in vain, and living like the devil. Well, that was not true. I'd gone in and spent the night with the officers and witnessed to them while the prisoners were locked down. And they were as big of a mission field as most of the prisoners were. And I told him, his name was Sam. I said, Sam, you just need to get saved. And I witnessed to him. He laughed and scoffed the gospel. And we went downtown with our church at that time uh, for fellowship and an outing. And after a little while, uh, Sam was a big man. He looked like a, a biker in a gang or whatever. And uh, not implying anybody that rides a motorcycle is in a gang or looks rough. But he was just one of those that fit the, the mindset of what you would think would be a biker or a gang member. And all of a sudden, we heard the rumble of a Harley Davidson. And looked up, and across the uh, park came a Harley Davidson. It was getting with it. And uh, we were there with our church, and all of a sudden, the Harley came up, kind of slid a little bit sideways, and he got off of it, headed our way, and I realized he got close. It was that officer, Sam. I just left the prison a few moments before and had witnessed to him. He walked up and he said, Preacher, he said, I can't get away from the Bible and those verses you shared. He said, do you really think God would save me? I said, Sam, I know it would. And he said, I want you to know. He said, before I left, I bowed my head and I put my faith and trust in Christ. He said, I got saved by the marvelous grace of God. And I wanted to look you up and let you know I got saved. And may I say to you this morning, I've learned by experience that God can save the hardest cases known to mankind. There's nobody beyond his reach. And God can save the hardest of all sinners. Then I want you to know I've learned secondly this morning that God's provisions never fail. The Bible says, you know the scripture, Philippians 4, 19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory, uh, according to uh, Christ Jesus. And as we consider that text, and I know that's promises to the church, but I want you to know that I have learned over these years of ministry that God's provisions never, never, never fail. God's always been their own time with just exactly what we needed. I remember we started out with $125 a month. Uh, we had found a little couple that was needing a piece of property we owned over in Chatsworth, and uh, they didn't have uh, the uh, good credit to get a loan, and we didn't have enough good sense to not give them the property with a handshake. But uh, we shook hands and told them you can have for $125 a month. And when you make the last payment, we'll sign it over to you. That's all we did. We uh, did that. They paid, never missed a month. In fact, they paid it off uh, several months early. But that's what we started out on uh, deputation. I went in to work one day, and the Holy Spirit had been dealing with me. And I came home that night, and I said to Mrs. Ellis, uh, God's convicted me. We're going to go out full time by faith and trust God in the ministry. All she said was, have you prayed about it? 
And I said, well, of course I prayed about it. I wouldn't do something like that without praying. And so we turned in a two-week notice and left and went full-time in the ministry. And we were wanting to go as a family. I told Miss Ellison, the kids, that we will uh, go and we'll make it a family adventure. I'll not go out and leave you here. We'll go together. And I went down to the bank. I'd found a little uh, motor home. It was a Winnebago made for tropical weather. And uh, it's 19 feet from bumper to bumper. Um, and I went to the bank over in Tunnel Hill. And I said to the loan department, the agent I was talking with, I said, now, here's what I believe the Lord wants me to do. And this is what I believe God wants you to do. And he looked at me very strange. And uh, he said, well, what is it you want? And I told him. He said, well, you have to fill out a loan application. He looked at it. I tried to fill it out. He said, now, Mr. Ellis, let me get this right. You've got $125 a month coming in and $450 a month of debt. I said, yes, sir, that is correct. He said, you want to borrow money to buy a motorhome? He said, uh, where, was you, where are you from? And I told him, I said, I'm from right here in the Tunnel Hill area. He's born over in Chatsworth. Now, he didn't say it, but I could tell by looking at him. He thought, that's the answer. And um, he told me, he said, Mr. Ellis, I can't take this out of the loan department. He said, they'll laugh me to scorn. He said, I just can't do it. And I pressed him. I said, well, if you don't do it, somebody will because I've prayed and God wants me to have this particular motor home. Looking back, I'm not sure if it was Lord or not. It had a Dodge 318 in it. And to keep it going, I had to take the Calvin off and put the choke just right. Miss Ellis had to go down the road and hold the choke there so I could get on down the road to our meetings, along with several other issues with it. But the Lord uh, was good to us. And uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what. He said, the uh, loan department, I'm not going to take it there. He said, but the president of the bank, they only had a small branch. They only had about three banks at the time and subsidiaries. And he said, the president happens to be here today. And I'll take it back to him personally and just see what he says. I said, okay. So we went and uh, went to the back, went through the door, and I'm sitting there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And finally, I've concluded he's just not going to come back. He's waiting me out to leave. And I had contemplated leaving. I thought, no, I've got all the patience in the world. I really didn't, but I thought that. And about the time I had convinced myself to leave, the door opened. He came out. He was kind of scratching his head. And he said, now, Mr. Ellis, he said, uh, I talked to the president and I said, uh, he must not have been in favor. It took you a long time to get back out here. He said, uh, he asked me like three times. I'd tell him the situation. He'd say, and he wants to do what? And I, he said, I told him what you told me. You believe by faith. God wants you to get this and do the ministry. He said, after the third time, he said, you know, he said, I'm going to give him that long. He said, I'm interested to find out if he's going to pay it or not, what God's, if God's really going to do it. And he said, we're going to give you the loan. And so we walked out with $125 a month coming in, $450 in monthly bills, plus our motorhome payment now. And it was an older one. It wasn't a newer one. And we walked out, and God had given us our motorhome. It was only a week or two later we were in the state of Missouri, state of misery, and we present our ministry in a church, and a gentleman came up to me after the service. He said, Brother Ellis, he said, the Lord's impressed me and my wife to take you on for monthly support, if that would be okay. I said, that would be fine, but you need to talk to the preacher. I won't take support or anything like that unless the pastor knows. He said, I already have. I talked to Pastor Riker, and he said, it's perfectly fine. This man had given a large, substantial amount of money to World Missions and Evangelization. And Pastor Riker said, yes, sir, uh, it'll be fine. He said, now, what we'd like to do is take you on for $500 a month, if that will be okay. I said, help yourself. And they took us on for $500 a month. And along with the $625 we had, that's $625 a month. 
We were just shy of what we needed just to pay our bills. And you know, the Lord provided uh, from there. We left and went to the state of uh, Montana, uh, one in Wyoming, one church in Wyoming, one church in Montana. I had another church all the way in, in the state of Washington. I was going to make you turn and come back. We left on that trip and was gone for almost a year before we came back. God just opened the floodgates of church after church after church. Our support started coming in. He said, we're going to give you $500 a month for up a year to give you a chance to raise your foundational support. I'm talking about I've learned by experience God's promises are true. He never fails in his provisions. And about the end of the year, he called. He said, in fact, it was Loaysa. I know he won't mind me. I tell you, Richard Loaysa, they owned a chip business. Thank God for chips, Dorito chips. And um, they supported us out of the business. And he said to her, he said, now, Brother Ellis, it's coming to the end of our support for you and your family. And I thought, okay, here we go. And I knew that it was coming. He said, but the Lord's impressed me and Miss Linda. That's his wife. Said the Lord's impressed on our hearts. And by the way, we done talked to our pastor. And if it's okay with you, we want to increase your support. We'll double it from $500 to $1,000 a month. I said, brother, you help yourself. He said, there's another thing we'd like to do. He said, I don't know how much your bills are or what your debt is, but we'd like to support you $1,000 a month for a year. And we'd like to take on all of your debts and make your monthly payments. Man, I mean, we were shouting it out. I've learned by experience over these years of ministry that God's provisions never fail. They're always on time. They're always adequate, and they're exactly what we need when God sends it. I remember one year I was going to get audited by the IRS, and I'll not go into all of this and that. And it was a year uh, from where we had our business before we became missionaries. I'd made some changes in the law. And uh, we were unaware of some of the details of it. And, uh, you know, uh, the Lord worked it out. And then sometime later, we thought we owed uh, the IRS money. We sent it in to them, and we didn't have it, but we always paid our bills. And uh, got a check back a few weeks later, a month and a half or so, and said, uh, Mr. Ellis, we got your check. Uh, we're returning it, and uh, your tax preparer made a mistake, and we owe you money. Now, you know God sent it when the IRS says you made a mistake and sends you money instead of keeping it. I've learned by experience that God never fails. You know, I've learned by experience all the breakdowns we've had. I've told the story of Peggy wanting mocha going down the road one day, and she had asked for mocha. And I said to her, I said, the Lord don't even know what that stuff is. I didn't know myself. So I figured God must not know. And she said it was a mixture of chocolate and coffee. And uh, so anyway, I said, well, pray for it. And she bowed her head and prayed. And we hadn't gone more than a mile or two down the road. She said, stop, stop the car. I slammed the brakes on. She got out of the car, went around, bent over in the middle of the highway. I came back in, sat down as a little Vienna mocha can. And it's coffee and half coffee and half uh, chocolate milk. And it had been opened. It's powder. And I said to her, I said, you're not drinking that stuff, are you? She said, if God provided, it'll be okay. She said, you want some? I said, I didn't pray for it. <laughs> I remember in Wyoming, we needed $1,500 a month to finish out some of our bills. And we didn't have the money. And we were praying. Finally, I came in and our pastor had set, called and said, Brother Ellis, you need to come get your mail. Looks like you may have some support. And we desperately needed 1500 When we got our uh, letters, our mail, opened it up, and there's a church that had closed down. Actually, it merged with a church it split off of. And that's a miracle within itself. 
But if we opened it up and there was a check, they divided between their missionaries, $1,499.97. We were three cents shy of the $1,500 was uh, praying for. But God had provided. You say, how did he do that? It was three pennies short. I had three cents in my pocket. Amen. I've learned by experience God's promises are true and his provisions are always there. Then I've learned last but not least that God's power and God's presence is real. In Matthew 28, 19, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you all the way, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And I want to say to you this morning that I'm grateful that God has been with me and I've learned by experience his power and his divine presence is real. They held hostages at the Wyoming State Penitentiary and used my office for a number of hours. The FBI from Cheyenne, Wyoming came over and tried to use me to lure the prisoners out to talk to a negotiator and the snipers were going to take them out. Thankfully for uh, Warden Schillinger who talked him out of it. So if you do that, this man's ministry is ruined. You'll never be able to step back in another prison anywhere in the nation. And I thank God that he stepped in for us. It was all said and done. There was a little gospel track, a little white uh, promise uh, scripture that was on my desk. One of the ladies was a backslid Christian, and she reached down and saw that. It said, God's promise book. And it had all the scriptures. She read it, and the prisoner said to him, said, I'm going to give you a minute, and then we're going to slit your throat from ear to ear. And she read that little track during that time. It was a whole life, a whole life flashed before. And she began to claim the promises of God. And as soon as that was done, all of a sudden, uh, they had a change of heart. And they came out, they laid the weapons down, was taken into custody, and God gave deliverance. Why? Because a Christian that was backslidden, cold, and callous toward God, it took a hostage crisis to get her attention to call out on God and to reclaim the promises. And I want to say to you this morning, I've learned over the years of my experience in serving God in ministry and as a Christian that every single power and presence of God is with us when we need Him at the right time. In my trials and troubles and even in death, God's with us. I'd ask them to come and get ready for the invitation this morning. But during the Jubilee, when we were diagnosed with COVID, I was not doing well at all. And I'll not take the time this morning to go into all the details. Oxygen was dropping in critical levels. And the hospital didn't put me, admit me to the hospital because they were going to have me come back the next day and do an infusion. Unfortunately, the doctors forgot to pass the information down to the lab, and it ended up being stretched out by three days. But eventually, I got bad enough, I had to go back to the, another hospital. Before I left the hospital that I was in, where they had diagnosed me with double pneumonia, they showed me the x-rays and showed me where all the fluid was and told me I was in very critical condition. When I went back to the other hospital, it was after the church had taken up the offering and had special prayer for us and also the Tri-State Baptist Fellowship was in session and they had a special season of prayer for us at almost the same time the church did during the Jubilee. I went back to that hospital and I told them, I said, I was diagnosed just yesterday with double pneumonia. And they looked at it with the x-rays and said, Mr. Ellis, we don't know what happened. But your lungs are clear, crystal clear. And 
I still had other issues, but God had healed my pneumonia. I've learned that in every trial and trouble, God's power and God's presence is real. 